Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and today a very controversial topic because we are black sheep in everything from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And so we're going to talk about the church's responsibility in relationship to protest riots and racism. We should have come up with an R R in there. Resistance, riots, and racism. I don't know. Anyhow, um, by now... All of you should be aware that there has been quite a bit of unrest, protests, riots that are all over the place over the last week. But just in case you don't know what's going on, or maybe you're in one of the other countries, um, it really all centered around a Minneapolis police officer who, after taking a man who was named uh, George Floyd into custody, uh, continued to kneel on his neck for around nine minutes, right? Ish. Yes. And um, it's all over the news. You can just type it in, George Floyd, and you'll see it. Uh, The result of that is that George uh, Floyd died on the scene. Uh, There were some other officers, three to be specific, who did not intervene, uh, even though several bystanders uh, were pleading that he get off the man's neck. Um, In fact, Mr. Floyd himself apparently was begging him to get off because he felt he could not breathe. Um, All of this results from, it's just a sad event. Um, And it results in these large-scale protests against uh, police brutality, uh, specifically toward blacks. And so the thoughts and speech have quickly turned into a discussion to racism. Unfortunately, also, those protests quickly turned violent, and rioting and looting has been our reality for the last few days. Um, Since that initial event, people have been shot, beaten, robbed, mobbed, um, or mugged maybe might be a better choice, but uh, the, the police have been murdered, they've been attacked, they've been run down by people in vehicles, stores are being looted, buildings are being burned, And this is going on throughout the nation. And so what we want to do today is give a a response, somewhat brief, um, but long as we were writing it, it got longer and longer. So we'll see um, to the whole situation. Um, But what we're trying to do is seek to bring some level of biblical thinking to a very unbiblical event. Um, We're not trying to even change minds on it, uh, though we hope we might. Uh, What we are are simply two pastors who are watching all sorts of people who claim Christ, who are making statements that just frankly alarm us. Uh, These are not neutral moments, um, but they are ones that reflect in many people a very bad theology. And if you remember, our podcast is called Faith and Fable, and it's where we try to discuss theology in such a way that we can expose the many fables that are promulgated across this world. Yeah, now this this today, what we're doing here, it's not going to be real structured. By the way, you might hear a fan, um, and we apologize for that, but you're going to have to deal with it. It's 90 degrees here, hot, humid, and we're in an un- air-conditioned 
room. We're in our bunker. We're in our bunker. Yeah, at an undisclosed location that happens to be 90 degrees. <laughs> um, so this is, yeah, th this today is, it's not going to be real structured. Uh, we're not even going to provide show notes for this episode. We're just kind of winging it in many ways here. Um, we, we do plan on doing an in-depth series on social justice in the very near future. Uh, and so we're only going to touch on a little bit of that today. It, it's such a multifaceted and variegated, uh, issue. Um, and so we just have to dip our feet into this massive pool at some point. And so that's what we're doing today. And in light of all that's happening, uh, it seems to us to be a good time. So, um, we're also going to be doing a Sunday service on this subject. By the time this drops, maybe we'll have it come out a little sooner. I don't know. Um, you can get you can get that service uh, and watch it and listen to it if you want on our YouTube channel, which will be provided for you in the show notes. Um, and, yeah, and we're going to actually open it up for the church members to ask questions because really this whole thing is coming because church members are saying, how how should we think? How do we think? How do we act? Yeah, how, and and some of them have family members or people who they've always respected or uh, appreciated who are saying things that they're like, I don't know if I agree with that, but they're also afraid to say they don't agree because they yeah. don't want to be wrong. And uh, we also have police officers at our church, people married to police officers. So they don't, I mean, how do they think? And it's a very emotional. It's, it's a mess. Yeah, it's a disaster. In fact, I think I said it was crappy. On my Facebook post, an excellent, just a crappy situation. Yeah, um, and there's just a deluge of information right now. And how do you even wade through it? It's it's just a challenge, and to use your word, difficult and crappy. Um, so first of all, let us give just some basic thoughts on the death of George Floyd. Um, and and the, on a, this, it's rather simple to give. And the reason for that is because honestly, we can't we can't speak into the details. In fact, most people no. cannot speak into the details, despite the fact many have and continue to. But in reality, uh, no matter what you're going to say, in reality, really the only ones who can truly speak on this in any significant way are investigators, and the only ones that really matter. If you're really about justice, true, yes, biblical justice, biblical justice. Um, now, any death is sad. And, and we know this as Christians because eternity is what's on the other side. Um, now, we have heard that Mr. Floyd was a believer, but frankly, we cannot speak to that either. Um, what happened by the police officer, just make no mistake, everyone agrees. It's sad. It was wrong. The man's been arrested. He's been charged. His life is essentially done. Um, but judgment has been made, whether they're right or wrong. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, the judgment themselves, right? Right. I mean, everyone has made their conclusion. On this police officer. Oh, yeah. Um, now, everyone agrees, again, that this is bad. Bad tactics, bad decisions, just bad. Um, in fact, I've not I, I I've not heard any police chief, I've not heard any mayor, I've not heard any even police officers try to debate that point. No. Um, but here's what we will say. No one knows the motivation. No one knows the intent of that police officer or the other three involved. But many, many, many are presuming they understand that. Oh, if, if and this is where the leap is coming in, right? Because the man was the officer was sent on a call. It wasn't like he was driving down the road and all of a sudden he says to his partner, "Hey, there's a black guy. Let's go kill him." 
But yeah, that's a whole separate situation. What you have is a guy being sent on a call, dealing with it as a police officer, and then what transpired ends up in the death of this man. Um, it was done in a bad way. I can speak to that with authority on that because I used to be a cop. Um, it, it That was bad. But what gravely concerns us is how many people are assuming they now know the heart mm -hmm. and the intent of this man. And that's a whole... Which has created the disaster that we're in in the country right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that then, this leads to our next point, um, which is going to be on racism and police brutality against the black community. Um, if you didn't know, we're both white. We are. So even that, some people I know for a fact would just simply say, we don't have a right to speak. Right. Because you're white. Yeah. Yeah. We're already, we, systemically, we are Which is bad infected. thinking. Which is bad thinking. Yeah. Because we're all on the same spectrum, right? Same melanin yep. spectrum. We just, some have more, some have less. Yes. But again, we're going to argue from a biblical perspective that we're all image bearers. And so we all have thoughts. And to say that you shouldn't have thoughts because of something is, frankly, folly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it there. So let, let, let us just give you some foundational, undefined points on which the church should agree, all right? This is just where we're going to begin, all right? And if you don't agree on these points or if someone you're talking to within the church, the world's going to do what they're going to do. The world's going to say what they're going to say. But if you're talking to someone within the church and they don't agree on these points, it is not worth your time to engage. It's not worth your time to even listen to. Number one, racism is bad. Not, not a... <laughs> Evil, wicked. And how many, and ask yourself, how many people actually do you know out there within the church who are actually advocating an overtly racist right. ideology? Yeah, and we're not going to get into the discussion here on the technical definitions of racism. Some people make this distinction between prejudice and racism, where racism is defined as some sort of structural oppression from people in power. We're not getting into that. Just We in, will. We will. <laughs> right. But today, just in broad categories— Whatever and however you're defining racism or you understand it to be, we call it evil. And, and the church all should say amen. Now, we can quibble over the details, but it's evil. Yes. Uh, the next one would be um, abusing power is bad. It's evil. It's wrong. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it is uh, something for which you are responsible to properly use and exercise it's not something so that you may dominate right power is given to protect right um number three this one not everyone will necessarily agree with us right and this is where it gets but we think right. that everyone should agree with us <laughs> right uh, submitting to governing authorities is good so think about that do you agree with that do you really yeah. think about that and if you're already saying but or thinking of all kinds of qualifications, you need a better biblical worldview and lens. And we're going to develop that again later. Yes. Uh, and then we're also going to say that all should agree that justice is good. We, we want justice. We ache for justice. We know that there is injustice. Yeah. Um, Flows from the character of God. Yes. He is just. He is righteous. Right? But... We're not going to get into all that. We're not going to get into how you want to define it and what it looks like and when should we see it and what is it. We're just simply agreeing that we can't, let's, don't 
you know, we don't need to divide on this. We're all going to agree as Christians, justice is good. Yeah. And then fifth, and this is so important, but in all of this, what we can never forget is that there is absolutely nothing new under the sun. That's what God said. Yep. And what we are seeing right now is not an evolution of anything. Um, it is not something new. And here's where some may disagree, especially if you're post-mill, <laughs> but it will never truly change before the Lord returns. Right. Truly change. Uh, and if you disagree on that point, then you are not thinking through a biblical lens. Even if you're post-millennial. Yep. And now that is not saying that you should not stand for justice. So don't hear us wrong on that either. But it is saying that if you are thinking anything will permanently change and times will truly grow better, then you need a better homardiology and again, a better eschatology. Now, just in case you're not keeping up on our systematic theology, homardiology <laughs> means? Doctrine of sin. And eschatology? Doctrine of last things. Um, there, the, and so there is nothing new on under the sun. Um, there are still people going to hell in the millions right now. Uh, in fact, how many thousands and thousands of people have died and stood before their maker since last Monday, yeah. right? Um, the church must never forget that even a completely prejudice free society, which again, biblically cannot and will not happen until the Lord returns, but even a completely prejudice free society will still go to hell. So if that's your touchdown, you're not thinking biblically. And so let us just begin here by saying that when we forget that, that simple truth, then the church has lost its true mission. And, and we can't do that, guys. We just can't. Uh, there's a lot of motion going on. People are posting. Uh, I finally broke my silence. N not one of the elders of our church, Missio Day Fellowship, wrote or spoke on this. Um, and finally, I had the wife of a police officer. Um, her, her husband's gearing up in riot gear. She's having to go out, watch her husband go. They have three or four children. I can never I think keep they track. Four. Yeah, our average number of children per family is four. Boy, we're such good pastors. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I can barely keep track of my own grandkids. <laughs> That's true. Um, as my wife and I like to say, we're getting befuddled in our old age. But you know, she, she, her children and her, they're watching him go off in riot gear. Um, you know, this, this is a real issue. And so she's like, when are you going to speak to this? And she said, and so gracious, such a gracious man. So I broke silence. If you want to look me up on Facebook, Matthew Henry, um, you'll see my post. But basically I, I, I said, look, as elders, we're not speaking to this and we're asking you to really carefully think about whether you should speak on it. Um, is, is this a time for everyone to start speaking out of the overflow of their emotions and whatnot? And we're just seeing so many people writing things that I fear they're later going to regret, but it's there. And um, we just, we just want to speak to wisdom. Now we are going to do a special service this Sunday. Um, and like, like Matt said, we'll, we'll have the YouTube, uh, because we, we're doing the whole service live. You can actually log in and watch that if you want. Uh, we're expecting this uh, to drop afterward, though it may drop before, so it'll we'll see. But uh, either way, on the show notes, you can find the link to our YouTube channel. And if, we, if this drops after the church service, you'll actually have the link to the specific YouTube yeah. um, video, I guess it's called, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, before we get, did you have something that you want to read? 
Yeah, you but got your, I'm going to stick you it in there okay. somewhere. Um, I don't know where. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, so l- l- before we even begin, let's just give some qualifications here. Um, and again, the fact we even have to do this just shows how variegated and nuanced this this stuff is. Okay, but let us give these qualifications. For the most part, people have already decided what they believe is right and wrong on this issue and all of the issues that fall under this issue. So though we hope our goal, however, is not really to seek to change minds. That um, may shock you, but it's not. Yeah, we're simply trying to bring a pastoral perspective and indeed a biblical perspective. And these are the thoughts of two pastors. Um, and if you go to our church, these are the thoughts of your pastors. Uh, we are not claiming to be sociological experts. We're not legal experts, we're not political scientists, but frankly, nor do we really care to be. Um, that, that means very little to us when trying to think biblically about issues. Um, and this is what many pastors are trying to be these days. They're, they're trying to be experts in sociology, in law, in race relations, these kinds of things, but we're not. Um, it is still our conviction and will always be our conviction that pastors ought to spend their time exegeting the scriptures and bringing that to bear on these issues. And I would argue that part of the mess of the church right now is that they have just, many pastors have ceased to do that. Yeah. They, they're ripping I mean, it's I, bad. I, it's while, bad. While we were driving around trying to find a restaurant to eat at, um, at to prepare for this and talk about it, I just noted how many pastors seem to be coming uh, what I are called red letter Christians. They're they're only quoting the words of Jesus and usually one verse and totally out of context and and completely ignoring the apostolic witness, which is as authoritative as Christ's words, because in fact, they, they are, are his words. Right. right. And we dealt with that in bibliology. So go back and listen to those podcasts. Yeah. And so no matter what we say, where we land, people are going to disagree on virtually every statement. We understand that. That's fine. Every statement. Every. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we got some doozies. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're not here to change minds, uh, nor do we even feel a need to give an account to men? Ultimately, what we want to do is try to speak sanity and truth into this mess as best we can. Uh, we also want to add that we know that there is a very real distrust of police with, uh, within many parts of the black community. We know that. We're not dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, the question that ought to be asked by all is do the facts those dis- support the distrust? Um, now, that's going to be up to you as a listener. Uh, you're going to have to decide as an individual if you agree or disagree that that the black community as a whole ought to look at the police and the judicial system with distrust. Now, all kinds of stats are being thrown out. Um, what was it you quoted, Mark Twain, about st- statistics? Yeah, there's lies, there's damnable lies, right? Lies, and then there's statistics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and stats can be used in any way you want. It, it's... It, and if you didn't know that, you just need to understand that. But you have to remember that that decisions are made, and every decision that we make has consequences. This is what we've been trying to talk about as we looked at several proverbs with wisdom and friendship and other things. Everybody makes a decision, and everything carries a consequence. And that consequence can be with both man mm-hmm. and with God. So. There they are. Also, stories and anecdotes are free and, frankly, cheap. 
but it doesn't mean that they're true or fair. And so when you say, well, I, I know a friend or I'm cross-posting this guy and he had this experience that therefore, if that experience is, first of all, you don't know if it's true Two, how much of it is a fear versus reality. Right. right? Um, I, I mean, yeah, I won't go further than that. Just how much of it is that they were afraid of something, but it was not based in anything that was actually happening. Um, and you're just presuming then that this is commonplace because a friend told you the story. Yeah. Now, there's there's one theologian uh, who, who's a black theologian, and he's a Princeton grad, a uh, very sharp guy, thinks very, very well. Um, he said that many in the black community are actually trained, and he's speaking from experience here, are trained from the beginning of their life, essentially, from whether it's media or even within their own culture and families, but they're trained um, to read and hear of a situation involving a black individual and a police officer, especially if the headline reads black man and white police. Um, they are trained that that they just simply presume that there is inherent racism already at work. That's just the default. Um, and what he said is that that therefore, because that is a reality, it proves that a, a narrative actually exists through which they instinctively interpret events like we just saw. In fact, I, let me quickly interject in that. All of us are interpreters. Yes. Um, all of us. And that's different than facts. Interpretation of the facts is where the, the mess comes in, right? So, uh, uh, you know, I, I remember a time me and uh, I, w- I was r- working, there was a, when I was a police officer, there was an intersection that was extremely dangerous. We'd had several serious accidents and it was because people were running the stop sign. So I was given special patrol. We want you to write something like 15 citations on that, on that thing. We want heavy police. So there is a quota. That day there was. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and, so I sat out and I had this awesome spot where I parked my cruiser and it was, uh, I could see the white line that's called the limit line. If you didn't know that, uh, in front of the, uh, uh, stop sign. And all I was watching was the vehicles as they drove up to the line. Did they come to a relatively good stop? I wasn't looking for absolute stop, which is legally the definition of a stop. Mm-hmm. I was just looking for, are you, are you making an effort? And my goodness, I had 15 uh, citations in under an hour and I worked 12 hour shifts. So one of them just blew right through it and I didn't see it. All I saw was the front end of the car and the front wheels. I, I popped my lights on, pulled, went, pulled out, pulled them over. It was a black individual. He was fuming and he looked at me, he says, the only reason you pulled me over was I'm a black man. I was, I was just hopping mad because I, 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 you just deal with that all the time. And it's like, no, I pulled you over because you blew that stop sign. And he tried to claim this and that. I, I just wrote my site and moved on. Yeah. Now, that was 30 years ago. It's just gotten worse yeah. now. Yeah. Well, but, but he interpreted an event. Yeah. He's driving and got pulled over presumed by a police racism, officer right. who happened to be white. And therefore, he presumed I was a racist and there was a motive behind it. And I rejected his assessment because, frankly, I didn't know who he was until I walked up on the car. Yep. Yeah. And so what, he, what this man went on to say, actually, he said guilt, therefore, is immediately presumed. 
And then on the opposite side, victimhood, therefore, is immediately presumed. And he says it cannot be any other way in the black community. Which is exactly what I just described. Exactly. Yeah. But what's important to remember on issues of justice, and this is especially true for the Christians. Again, what the world does, the world is going to do. But for the Christian, the commitment to a narrative, and hear this well, commitment to a narrative is not a commitment to the truth. Um, Say that one more time. A commitment to a narrative, which is what this man from Princeton is explaining, takes place all the time. A commitment to a narrative is not a commitment to the truth. And that is what the church has to remember. And this is exactly right now what we're seeing in the case of George Floyd. Um, Again, what that cop did and those four cops did, bad. We agree with it. It was terrible. In fact, we'll call it incompetency. But listen, incompetency does not equal racism. Um, But if we want to presume the narrative, then we're just going to conclude with the rest of the world that racism must be the case, despite the fact there is zero evidence of intent. Now, the result of all that has been given a rise to a whole movement that most of you know of, the Black Lives Matter movement, which then got countered with an All Lives Matter, and that was soundly mocked and denied and trounced. Um, Now, again, I I was a police officer and I encountered this whole idea of the narrative, both when I was a jail chaplain um, and a police officer. Um, But here was what was so frustrating with the whole thing was that uh, I had no way to prove otherwise um, because what they were expecting me to do is something called disprove a negative. And if you know anything about that, it's impossible to disprove a negative. So, you know, I look at you and say, have you stopped beating your wife? How do you prove that? Right. Yeah. I, that's why the, the, our justice system is you must prove in fact, guilt that you are beating your wife. I, I, that that's upon the state to prove that. Um, I, I, yeah, you can't prove your innocence. We must presume that. And yet this police officer has not been accorded any of that. It is presumed he's guilty, and therefore nothing less than a guilty verdict can be accepted. Right. Which is not just. No. Nor is it the pursuit of justice. Um, and and we, we both encounter this, right, as, as pastors, um, as well as we just try to speak into the situations going on. But as you've already said, we're then essentially as told as white men that we cannot know, we cannot understand the battle or the problems, um, which, what do you say to that? Yeah, and, and what we are is we're obnoxious little stubborn Cretans who say we're not going to give up the battlefield. We're not going to acquiesce and say, okay, then it's only for this select group mm-hmm. who get to now speak and say this is what it really is. Um, either we're men who hold to the biblical narrative and the biblical theology and then take that and apply it into the world or not. And, and at that point, we're all equal. We're, yeah. we're, we all stand on equal footing that the word of God is our sure foundation, not our fears, our prejudices, our beliefs, our feelings, or anything else. It is what does the scripture say, which leads to our next. Yeah. So we're now, we're just going to talk about the church's response um, to, some of this, to some of this. And it's been very, very, <laughs> very disheartening in so many ways. I, I think we both just wa- have walked around with a pit in our stomach for the past few days, if that would be a fair way to say it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I mean, I had a scowl on my face all Sunday. Yeah. Just as I was listening to a police scanner and listening to 
the situations that were unfolding on the police scanner. And we're just a little town of 100,000 people. Right. Stuck between Chicago and Milwaukee. Milwaukee right. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and now we, we have an entire movement within the American Evangelical Church, um, and especially within the, the Reformed movement um, called the Woke Church. Um, In fact, that book's been written on that. Yeah, Eric called. Mason out of, yeah, I think Philadelphia. Um, church leaders are, are literally fighting with each other to be more woke than others. And there, there's a proudness here with this. Um, you white, give, white church leaders. Right. You want to give the quote here? Yeah, but you say the name. Thabiti Anubule. Thabiti Anubule. See, I, I, I massacre it. Um, he wrote this on, uh, and this was a while ago on the Gospel Coalition website. He said, what we call woke today is pretty close to the Afro, Afrocentrism of the 1980s. Afrocentrism, a word coined by Dr. Molifi Asante, a professor of African-American studies at Temple University at the time, was about centering Africa and Africa-descended peoples in their worldview, much the way Europe has always been at the center of the worldview of European peoples. Afrocentrism taught that black people should see the, black, see the world as black people. Now, what I just want you to hear and think about is that statement, black people should see the world as black people. We're going to make a point on that in a second. Just do you agree with that, that you should look at the world as a Europe, European descended person? Should black people view it as, a, as being black people? Right. Should Asian people you know, that's the question. And so he goes on to write, in simpler words, our approach to discipleship. So now he's talking about the church. He's defining a, a biblically technical term. Our approach to discipleship. Must, Which is what the church is to be about. Yeah, I we mean, are commanded. Make disciples. This is it. To Mission. all the nations. <laughs> right. Um, it must simultaneously repair the psychic and social destruction done to the identities and personhood of black people while recognizing and equipping them to counter the social and political realities that contribute to that destruction in the first place. We have to teach people how to be their ethnic selves in a way that's consistent with the Bible and how to live fruitfully in contexts that don't affirm that their uh, ethnic selves. Hence, we need a woke church. And so he, it's this idea that we, we, it is part of the responsibility if you're discipling a black person, it is so that he can identify himself as a black man or black a woman um, and and then live within that ethnic self. That that's that's part of the idea of what it means to disciple a person. Think about do you agree with that? Um, as various leaders buy into this idea, then there becomes this almost boasting in being white but woke. So one of the famous uh, quotes is by Ray Ortland. He tweeted a while ago. He said, last evening, a magnificent African-American brother called me woke. I felt honored, grateful. Might Jesus be making an impact on me? Of course, some won't like this. I hate it because they always assume that they're going to get attacked over that. Uh, they're somehow, uh, I'm taking a risk here. Um, 
So some won't like this, but go ahead and at me all you want. I don't care. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And he just got accolades over yeah. this. And and people are almost one up, trying to one up them. Me too, me too. And so now you're seeing in the church that it's it's so important to be identified as a woke pastor rather than a simple, humble follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's problematic to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a subjective statement that is biblically indefensible and makes no sense to me in light of... But it sounds good. Sure, sounds good. Um, so th- this led to a, a pushback, of course, in various circles. And you already mentioned that, but the battle lines were then drawn. Um, and, you know, all lives matter or woke, non-woke, whatever, however you want to define it. And people are now being forced and told that they must decide which side they are on. Um, and if you're not for us, you are overtly against us. Yeah, yeah. So this is now a dividing line within the church, uh, which is shocking if you read Galatians. <laughs> just, <laughs> just read Galatians or Ephesians and try to find the concept that's being promulgated. Yep. Yeah. In fact, uh, Matt Chandler, a very famous pastor out of Texas, he essentially told an audience at a at that uh, the MLK conference, which I believe was put on by Gospel Coalition, yeah. MLK fifty. Yeah. Um, that things are now different at his church, and therefore the members of his church better get on board or just leave. Yep, he's like, you're not welcome if you don't if you're not going to buy into this. So, go, yeah, uh, yep. Um, and so the cost of of that whole thing is a lot of people left um, very confused. People are tripping over themselves to now have to try and prove they're not racists. Um, you know, they have to prove something out of their now white guilt because this narrative is so heavy on everybody, despite the fact God has sovereignly made people white. Um, but now people are apologizing, you yep. know, and which is bizarre because as I said earlier, my lineage comes from Italy. We own no ra- uh, slaves, right? But yet I have to assume guilt for something. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm only, I think a third generation, maybe fourth generation American. Uh, they lived in Montana in a tar paper shack, one room. They were poor as poor could be. Um, that's my background, but it doesn't define me at all. No. Um, so with the George Floyd situations? Yeah. So now we got pastors who now jump on what's nothing more than the Black Lives Matter train. Uh, and, and so with this, the protests are going on and they're joining in on the protests. And so on all kinds of Facebook walls, we're seeing posted people, of uh, selfies of them. And they're, they got their mask and they got their sign and they're walking and they're, and they're triumphantly claiming that they're standing against injustice and police brutality. So they've already made certain presumptions there. Um, and so they're marching in the streets, they're taking a knee, they seem to almost take a, I w- this is just my sense, uh, an almost perverse pride that people are challenging their actions or words. Uh, in fact, some of them see, uh, see it as a suffering now with their black brothers and sisters. Um, and so people are changing their Facebook profiles to bl- being blacked out picture and it's uh, hashtag black Tuesday. Um, they're kneeling for nine minutes to desig- at designated locations throughout the cities. And all this is to show their solidarity with the black community. I, that's fine. I mean, sure. we'll talk about sure. that later, but I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to change anything, yeah. it, nothing at all. Because the next time a black man or woman is dies 
and it's at the hands of a police officer, this whole thing is going to explode all over again. Yep. So let's just give you some quick points for you to think about on this whole, what we're just going to call a mess. Have you, have you thought about why this particular situation has captured your thinking? I mean, despite the fact it's everywhere and in your face and down your throat, but why has it captured your thinking? Have you really thought about that? Why are there no protests for the hundreds of black men and women being slaughtered in Chicago and Milwaukee every single year by people who are not police? We just had 35 murdered last week. Yep. Chicago. Yep. Um, um, I, I, I mean, that's, you ask yourself that if you're, if you're one and that you've decided I want my voice heard in this situation, I just, and you're saying, yes, black lives matter, which is fine. I will agree. Black lives matter as much as any life matters. At the same time, I want you to ask yourself then why are you not protesting the death of every single black person who is dying at the hands of another person? Cause those are issues of justice too. Mm -hmm. um, an entire race if you will, is being wiped out systematically and it's not being done by the police. I hate to break it to you. It's, it's not, it's being done at the hands of other people. Yep. So, you know, question, when was the last time you took a stand for black on black crime? When, when did you speak out against that? Uh, and if not, why, why is this now your new position now? Because other than it's the thing that's smacking you in the face in every possible way. Uh, are you, in other words, as broken and passionate over the hundreds of black babies aborted each day? Approximately 900 yeah. are being aborted today and yesterday and the day before that. Are you broken over that? Are you as broken and passionate for that? Are you out there Or is it speaking? lip service? Yeah. Right. Well, that, that's going to be my argument. If it's not, then only some black lives matter. And that's, that's, that's what's If you're to be for justice in everything— Right. Not just in one thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people are quoting passages, but I, I, I think of Proverbs eighteen seventeen, where Solomon said that the first to uh, plead his case appears just until a second comes to examine him. Um, and I'm going to argue that many are going to rue the fact that they assume they know the facts and they make judgments and they act on them, but they've not yet heard the other side. They have not yet weighed the evidence so that they can make a, a wise and just decision. And if you're truly for justice, you have to. And I'm going to say that's evil. It's not just evil. It's a great evil. Yeah. Um, bad and evil are always bad and evil. Can we not agree on that? Well, we should. I, I mean, bad and evil are always bad yeah. and evil. It, it doesn't matter what quote, side you're on, right? I mean, bad is bad, evil is evil, call it out for what it is. I, I just heard a, a, a black pastor, a conservative one, fairly well known, and he was doing a sermon in light of this. And he was talking about the rioting and the burning of buildings and stuff like that. And he, he's like, you have to understand from a black perspective what's going on. And so he's now going to give us some wisdom, but it's not biblical wisdom. He's like, here's an illustration to help you understand. He's like, pretend you're, you, basically you were shipwrecked. You're on an island. Um, you need to be rescued. You're going to die if you don't. You see a ship out there. So you take your hut, you take your stuff and you light them on fire so that hopefully they can see the smoke 
and they can come and rescue. He's like, in other words, that smoke that you're sending up and that destruction is your cry for help. And he says, that's what you need to see when you see these buildings and structures burning in these riots. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What? And at that point, when you can say that and say that in a straight face, you no longer are able to say bad and evil are always bad and evil. Yep. Um, You know, so... Just like with with the whole COVID nineteen stuff, and these are just simple questions, but you should ask yourself who is benefiting from the riots and the unrest, even with that issue. And as we've said it before, and we'll probably just keep saying it, despite the fact people don't just want to believe it, but money and power are almost always at play, especially if you have a biblical worldview. I mean, is this not the entire point of many of the chapters in Ecclesiastes? Yes, uh, money and power is just what drives almost everything in a broken system where sin is what defines it. Um, try to grasp that there is a battle for shift in power, um, but the heart of man is, is still the same. And so no matter how the power shifts, it's, it's still controlled by sin and the sinner. Um, that This is going on in every structure of power that exists. Um, churches, city hall, legislatures, courtrooms, and even the White House, of course. And and then we, we have a passage, such a simple passage, Romans 13. It's not hard to understand, but it is apparently very hard. We're going to make it hard. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard for sinful and selfish people to like or embrace. Uh, and, and so we have witnessed and just been amazed uh, the level of exegetical gymnastics that occur right now in dealing with that passage. It's just frankly mind-boggling. So let me just read this. And, and you ask yourself— how hard is it to understand? Now, I'm not asking if you like it I'm not, or anything else. I'm just asking how hard is it to understand? Paul writes, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. So it comes from God. It's not from man. It's, these are not power structures raised by man. They're all authority comes from God and that those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, he says, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed. And those who resist will, not may, will incur judgment. Why? It's a promise. Yeah. Why? For rulers are not a a terror for, let me read that better. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Which is weird he would say that when Nero's reigning. Yeah, burning Christians Christians. to light up his parties. Right. Yeah. Um, Would you have no fear of the one, one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Why? For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Why? For he does not bear the sword in vain. And that the sword is not for spanking. No. It's for execution. For he is the servant of God, not the servant of systems of power and, and, and oppression, but he is a servant of God, an avenger who cares out, carries out God's wrath to the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Not hard. No. Not hard. But, but we'll make it. Yeah. Um, Genesis 1 through 2 also makes it very clear that there is but one race. And hear that, because we're sloppy with our language. Um, We talk about races. There's one race. There's the human race. 
Um, and yet, how many people actually think that way? The, the Bible doesn't use the language of races. It's, it's nations, ethnos, right? Uh, but there's one race, and it's the human race. Um, we all like to think that Romans 12, 1 through 2 doesn't apply to us, and yet it does. Yeah, that's the one that says, do not be conformed to the, this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Um, and we all like to say, yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. But this is one of those subjects where we see the conformity to this age so huge, where people are just, they're, they're taking on the language of other people who have an agenda that is not pure um, and, and, and using terms and phrases that are unbiblical, and we are allowing ourselves to conform ourselves to that. Well, all we have done is conformed ourselves to this age, and we're expressly forbidden by, by God to do so. Instead, what we are arguing in this podcast and, and for our entire whole podcast itself is we have to be always renewing our mind. It doesn't mean that we don't weep with those who weep. Right. It doesn't mean that we don't ache when we see injustice. We're not saying that we are saying that that cannot be then allowed to be defined in this age's thinking but has to be defined in god's thinking right so if you the gospel and only the gospel once believed and then by living out its consequences will ever be the answer to the vileness of what is known as racism that's the only answer beloved um so we would say to a person, well, so are you, are you saying we can't march? And we'd say, no, if you want to march peacefully, then go do it. But don't pretend that something is happening because you did it. You're not, right. you're not now changing the hearts and minds of men because only the gospel can do it. Yeah. And what astounds us is, I, I'll accept that from a liberal Christian, but within the reform circles that we tend to walk in, it's stunning how many people are just throwing out their theology. Yeah. They, well, they're calling this stuff the embodying of the gospel, which is, and then they're pulling on weird things from kingdom of God. You know, we want to see God's kingdom come to earth. It's this over-realized eschatology stuff, despite the fact yeah. you don't see Paul doing this. You never saw Jesus doing this. When he was oppressed by the Roman regime, you didn't see his apostles then run in and trying to overthrow Roman government because Jesus was unjustly murdered. No, no. So if you want to peacefully march, then do it. Um, but if you turn a blind eye to people who are openly violating the law while you're peacefully marching and you don't then stand for justice and right, and you don't turn those people in, then don't tell me you're peacefully marching. In fact, you're partaking in their evil. Right. Uh, God has, in other words, ordained means within society to bring about change, and marching is not one of them. But if you want to deny the gospel— when you, but but you understand actually that you're denying the gospel when you actively choose to withhold it from a community of people, all the while actively being involved in protests and activism. You have replaced the power of salvation that God has given you with something that is a cistern that will never hold water yeah. to rip Jeremiah out of its context. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so God hates partiality. I mean, we know this. This is so clear throughout Scripture. Uh, he hates partiality within the church and, of course, within systems of justice. He takes note of that, of every instance of injustice, and it will not be missed by him. But justice always cuts both ways. And so we would say, don't be deceived. When you are demanding justice for a person you that you have determined to be innocent in some way, 
and you do it by demanding no justice for the presumptively accused, which is what I see happening in the case of George Floyd and the police officers, you are an unjust person. Yeah. You, you no longer can speak. Yep. Not you, biblically. You've not, presumed guilt. Yep. You have presumed victimhood. And so you, you are now the unjust person. And I hope you hear the emotion in my voice because it's frustrating. Justice is not in your opinion. You don't get to just presume and assert guilt. God has given that to governing authorities, and he works in and through those. Broken as they are, he still works through them. Or Romans 13 is actually written in gobbledygook, and it's not. It was good, easy words to understand. So Matt Miller uh, was very helpful on this as we were talking. He put together some questions that you ought to consider. Um because it's so full of emotion. There's so much invective going on. What are some questions that you ought to consider? So why don't you explain what you're doing and yeah, then it, go for it. So d- everyone has to answer these questions, especially on the issue of, of justice and what is just. Because again, if we're Christians, we are to be for justice and always for justice, but in every and all aspects. And so we're not going to answer these. We're just going <laughs> to throw them out there for you to consider. Because again, every individual has to make up their own mind in these things. Um, but first of all, what even is justice? I mean, there's been so much talk already, but what is justice? And then by what standard do we measure it? In fact, it would be a good idea for many of them that when they, they see somebody who makes a post, who's a Christian, and he's like, I stand for justice. Just follow up with the question, ask them, just ask them that question. What is justice to you? And, and what's your standard by which you're going to measure it? Start asking yeah. these questions. And most are so angry that they won't even, and I would argue because they can't, but they won't even give you an answer. Yeah, we got an email. I got an email from one of our members at just asking, um, you know, this is going on and I, I'm really bothered with what I'm hearing. And so I just asked this person, you know, what are, what are the scripture scriptures that you're using to determine this. And the guy came back with him with a classic answer. He's like, I don't have time to answer that. Just watch this video. And it's like, yeah, yeah. If, if, if you really believed in these things, then you would have thought this thing all the way through before your mouth opened and your fingers start typing uh, all of the words that you've been preaching to people via your Facebook page. But no, I don't have time for it. Just, just, just go watch, watch this video. This video. Yeah. And, and then, by the way, the video stunk. It's, it's that one by Gospel project uh, bible project bible project it was it's atrocious and we're going to deal with that one too yep not now <laughs> um second when those who are in the church again we don't we're not even dealing with the world okay but when those who are in the church are asking other christians to take a stand on this issue think about this what are they actually asking you to do do they want you to speak well speak what what are they ask, asking you to speak do they want action what are they asking you to act? If so, you should ask for what biblical purpose? Is it because they want you to raise awareness? Well, raise awareness for what? Injustice? But again, what is injustice? They have to define those things. And why have they concluded that their definition is correct, even if they can give you one? When someone in the church claims that not speaking is now being part of the problem, because that's the constant thing I keep hearing, for you not to speak means that you are the problem, why is that a proper conclusion in their mind biblically? And they have to answer that biblically. And those are important questions because Christians, again, and this is probably just the drum we're going to keep beating over and over again, but must be for truth. 
and must never say or do anything that is untrue or unjust. It's a drum we're beating, but I think we're over 100 podcasts now. Yeah. And I I think that most, you may not agree with how we dealt with a passage. Okay, that's fine. When we get to eschatology, some of you are going to send us your funny memes about dispies and this and that. We know that. That's okay. We're, We're big boys. We can take it. So if you disagree with us, that's one thing. But we are trying, at least, to frame everything from, here's the Bible. Now, from that, let's speak yes. to the situation, whatever that is. Like right now, we're talking about procrastination and self-control. You may not like that series because it's beating you up. But the question we would ask you is, are we saying something untrue or right. unbiblical? Because if we aren't, are not, then why are you so bugged by it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Christian always must be for truth. They, they must not say or do anything untrue or unjust. And again, the commitment to a narrative is not a commitment to the truth that's necessarily. Another, that's a tweetable t- yeah, statement. And, and that cuts both ways. Okay. I get that. I understand that. Um, but, but in light of that, this must be thought through thoroughly. It must be thought through well, um, which by the way, is why we have chosen to be silent for a very long time on the issue of social justice. Um, we understand it's complex, it's nuanced, it's variegated, and we don't want to be quick to speak. In fact, it is the fool who rushes in, and we are seeing this by people mostly with their mouths and with their memes. Everyone is so quick to speak, they're so angry, and yet no one is giving a biblical perspective truly, other than sending you a video. So how much do you hear people, more questions, speak with care and balance? Or do they simply speak in extremes? Uh, how about this? Is there truly systemic racism? We're told there is. In fact, uh, at a certain age level, it's just assumed. Uh, I find the older you are, the less you're willing to give give that uh, a nod. But the younger they are, I'm fi- I, at least as a man almost 60, I find you know your, your average 18-year-old Yes, there is systemic racism. And so our question would be, what's the actual evidence? What are the proponents who argue that systemic racism truly exists asking you to do? And if racism if is, is truly systemic, then what would they have you ask of your mayor, your Congress, your Senate to change at a legislative level, which is a way of system in our country that things are changed, right? Legally, that's where the change is going. So what are they asking you to do at that level? And then what they're asking, is it biblical? Right, right. So some will respond, reparations. But are reparations justice in the New Covenant context? Again, we're coming from a biblical perspective. You have to answer those questions. Um, what are they wanting? New police tactics? Well, do they know anything about police tactics beyond the fact that they read an article, heard a statement, or saw a meme? In fact, can I make just a free suggestion? Most cities, they won't do it right now, but most cities will allow you to do a ride-along. And before you write one more thing about police tactics and, and police brutality, see if your city will allow you to do a ride-along and do it on a Friday or Saturday night. Third shift. Third shift. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You yeah. want third shift. For every, we would say for every march that you're in, go on a ride-along. Yeah. It just, if you your, really want to understand, which it, is what you're claiming you want. Sit with that police officer for 
X number of hours and just watch him or her at work. See the kind of people that they're addressing and dealing with. Watch them. Uh, here's a here's an anecdote. Um, a, a police officer in our church, uh, one of his early calls um, while he was still a rookie uh, was a guy shot in my neighborhood. And he and his training officer respond to it. And his training officer rushed up. The guy was had a sucking chest wound and he stuck his finger into the hole and, and saved the kid. Uh, this is a young teen. And he saved the, this young man's life because he, he administered immediately first aid. He knew what to do. The whole time, the mother is just saying, thank you. Thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, this guy was a rookie and he was new to all this. And he was like, wow, this is like we're, we're making a commitment, a connection with the people. When he got in the car afterward and they were going to resume patrol, um, just for most of you, this would be a life-changing moment. For them, it was just part of their job, and they still had the rest of their shift to do. So get your head around that one, too. Um, after they're all cleaned up, blood's been wiped off, everything, he gets back in the unit. They're going to go on patrol. The guy just, he, he commented about it, and his training officer laughed. He's like, that same lady just a, a month ago when I had to arrest the same kid, was calling me every name under the sun, and I was a racist and stuff. She didn't recognize me because she just sees a uniform. But right now, I'm saving her son, so I'm a great guy. When I'm putting handcuffs on him, I am this pig. Mm-hmm. And, and that was his first introduction to how life is for a police officer. You need to see that. It's, it, it, what, what your police officers that you right now, some of you are marching against and speaking out against at, in, in a carte blanche, um, that's who you need to sit with. You need to find out that they also are human beings made in the image of God. They're trying to do a job and think about what are the tactics? Why do they do what they do? And because they don't do it for no reason. Right. Yeah. Yep. More questions. Those who quote the myriad and myriad and myriads of Bible passages and verses and keep claiming to be speaking from a sound theology of justice, how much true exposition are they doing of the various passages? And how do you know the right? How do they know the right? Have you done an exposition of the passages yourself? And so these are just questions that you should be asking as just constant waves of information are coming your way on a daily basis. Yeah, here, here's an example. One guy holding up his sign, who is my neighbor. Wow, that's great. Woo, deep. You know, and and in that he's now marching for black lives, right? And it's like, woo, good one, good one. And my question immediately was, are the black, I mean, are the police officers your neighbors? Are you are you standing for them as well? Are you uh dealing with that? Let let me let me just read to you part. And again, it sounds like we're defending just police officers. We're not, we're trying to say, look, if you're going to be for justice, you have to be for justice on all and every side. Or you should be silent. Correct. All right. So in just the last 96 hours, I'm going to read just a few of the thing. This thing goes on forever. A Las Vegas Metro police officer was shot in the back of the head while he was fighting with a rider. There was an active shooter that opened fire on other law enforcement officers at a Las Vegas courthouse. 
four St. Louis police officers were shot by an active shooter. A New York police officer was struck by a vehicle. Buffalo law enforcement officers, three of them, were struck by a vehicle and run over in front of a police station. Heck, in Minneapolis, they abandoned a police station and, and watched it burn down. Three Davenport law enforcement officers were ambushed and one was shot. Um, in Chicago, last night, 132 officers were injured during a riot. Nine Pittsburgh officers were injured by objects during a riot. Several officers in Rhode Island were injured during riots. An active shooter opened fire at the Oakland Police Department. Two officers were struck in the head with projectiles in Santa Ana. Two Richland officers were shot in Virginia. One officer was struck in the head by a brick in Albany. Four Prince William County police officers sustained head injuries from projectiles. Uh, I could, I'm only halfway through the list. Um, I'll add one more. A federal protective service officer was shot and killed in Oakland. He was a black man. Where's the Black Lives Matter for him? Where are the protests for him? And they're silent. No one is speaking about him. And yet his family is devastated, just as devastated, beloved, just as devastated as Mr. Floyd's family. Yep. And this is what we're talking about when people are just only speaking in extremes. There's no balance here. There's no nuance and again, Christians cannot do this. We have to be for justice on all and every aspects. Now, on this issue, though, of people taking verses out of context, and we're going to deal with, Lord willing, so many of these passages as we continue on in this series coming up. But here is one of the key passages taken out of context. And and just by way of example, it's what we're going to close with. Um, and before I do that, let me first say, in a, say on this issue of, quote, racial reconciliation, um, that whole concept and phrase is, is a misnomer. Um, Daryl Harrison, who is, a, again, this, a theologian from Princeton, um, African theologian, he says, reconciliation is one of the most bastardized doctrines in the church. I mean, it's misused and abused and misappropriated and ill-defined, I mean, all over the place. Um, biblically, the term, speaking of reconciliation, is always used. Keyword, always. Always used in reference in the Bible to speak of the relationship between God and man. Actually, God to man. Yep. Not man to man, right? Um, the issue, therefore, at hand is not ethnicity, but enmity. And it is enmity between God and man, not man and man. So social justicians promote reconciliation between man and man on the basis of of social constructs, he argues, which he says are just superficial constructs and not something inherent to what it means to be an image bearer. Sounds complex, but just think about it this way. Being black or being white is not what determines if you're an image bearer. Um, It's not, to use the fancy term, an essential property. It's not what makes you an image bearer. Rather, it's an accidental property, meaning if it's there or not there, it has no bearing on whether you're an image bearer. The color of your skin is, is useless in the conversation. Even though we make it the essence of the conversation. Right. So race, therefore, is a sociological construct, and the Bible never promotes reconciliation between superficial characteristics of personhood, that is to say skin color or culture, things like this. Rather, it is always between image bearers, who are sinners, and the image itself, which is God. Now, in light of that, one of the most often quoted passages when it comes to this, quote, racial reconciliation is 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. 
Um, and we would just say, listen, this passage just needs to stop being used for this discussion. I <laughs> mean, it, again, it's been abused, misused, misapplied, misappropriated in more ways than I can even count. And I've seen it so many times over the past years, and every single time it makes me cringe. Um, so here, here's the passage. Okay. Now you're going to recognize it right away. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things, I'm going to read it literally here. Go, yeah, the old it. has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Um, now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself key. through Christ, that's also key, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, right there is where they then say, that's the phrase. Now we're going to add a whole lot of stuff that's not there as to this ministry of reconciliation. Now, listen, he continues in verse 19, this ministry of the reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There it is again. Not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, and we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled not to man, but to God. He, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, that's 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. Yeah. Um, now, where the passage is always taken out of context um, is in verse 19, um, where it says, he has committed to us this word of reconciliation. Um, the term here for word, um, it's translated in a myriad of ways. Sometimes it'll be ministry based on the previous verse, which phrased it that way. It's it's here. It's the word logos. It means word. Now, some will take this verse to mean now that we have been, now that we have been reconciled to God, now that very same ministry has been given to us for the purpose of making reconciliation happen within the world. That's how they'll interpret this verse. But, but that is so wrong, so inaccurate. It is a butchering of the passage it's very, very bad, and it makes no sense in light of the context. Remember, the entire context is God reconciling man, but to himself. Um, and you see that overtly stated in verse 18, beginning of verse 19. You see it in verse 20 as well. And so right at the end of 19 here, which is in the middle of all this, is where this phrase comes in. So this idea of God committing the word of reconciliation to us what that means is he has given us now, therefore, the means of that reconciliation, which again is something that happens between man and God. And that means is this word. Um, and so what is that word? Well, in the entire context of the epistle, but here in the immediate context, it's clearly the gospel. Um, in other words, this has nothing to do with the church carrying out attempts of what we're going to call racial reconciliation between ethnic groups. That's just not there in the passage. In fact, that this is the essence of what uh, Paul says in Galatians 3, 28, when he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you, now he's talking to the church, are all one, but where? In the realm or in the person of Christ Jesus. And that that's key, that it's not within society, it's within the church, right. you must see that we are all one and, and, and all of those racial things. So when uh, Thabiti, 
yes. uh, says, we need to teach the black man to see all things as a black man. It's like, or would it be better in your discipleship to train him to see all things and a white man to see all things, not as Republican or Democrat, American, free, slave, whatever it might be, but to see it as in Christ. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I almost get teary here, tearful here, guys. Just think of how radically different that is from what you're seeing on the posts and the podcasts and the, it just. And, and let me, I would add to that too. The world is supposed to be divided. We know this. I mean, if you have a biblical worldview at all, this goes all the way back to Babel. I mean, God is the one who's done this, right? He, he split up the nations. He split up the languages. He did that. You get to Acts 2 and the pouring out of the spirit at Pentecost. It's essentially the reverse of Babel. He is there bringing all these people speaking different languages together, and they're now one in Christ. What is the conclusion of that? The only place where there is truly, to use the phrase, even though I've been saying don't use it, uh, <laughs> if there's going to be reconcil racial reconciliation anywhere, it can only happen, theologically, it can only happen within the context of the church. Not raising your fist or kneeling in a public protest, those are all fine. They're neutral. I'm not going to freak out if you chose to do it, but don't think that that's where reconciliation occurs. Nope. It's superficial at best, and it still will be a system corrupt by sin. And so the entire point of the Galatians passage, the 2 Corinthians 5 passage, is that God has brought reconciliation, but it is between man and himself. And how? Well, it's through this word, which unambiguously is the gospel. All right. So let, let, let's bring this toward a close. Um, this is just a smattering of thoughts. And so you're kind of getting... I don't know, almost a, an eruption from us yeah. of, of just things that we're, we're, we've been thinking about for a long time. Because I think the one of the very first questions or requests for us to do on a podcast was social justice, and we keep pushing it back because it's so complex. Um, the concept is not, but it's been made complex. And so we've been thinking about it and hearing it, but this has just exploded. And so... All you heard was just us quickly kind of vomiting out some various thoughts, hopefully helpful. But our our divan, our plan is to develop it more systematically, um, and we're going to do it by addressing all of those questions that we just said that you ought to ask people. Uh, but we're going to try to do it from a truly biblical perspective. Until we hear, though, uh, or, or until we are clear on our definition, uh, confusion, chaos, and folly will reign. Injustice will still be perpetuated on every aspect. Again, we, we don't care about what the world is trying to do. They will do what they will do, but it will always be a broken attempt. Yes. It will be something apart from Christ. The church has got to get this right, though. Oh, it's so simple. Uh, until, unless we're in a promotion of justice from every aspect, we promote nothing less than injustice. And, and an actual active promotion of injustice. Yes. In all ways, we should be promoting that. It's that simple. So for all who claim they're advocates of justice, you have to ask yourself if your definitions, arguments, goals, decisions, and actions are truly founded on a biblical justice. And quoting Bible verses and giving empty platitudes simply mean nothing. So that's our plan going forward, and it will li likely take time. So be patient, but it'll eventually it'll drop, and it'll be a significant series. Yeah. It's not going to be one or two. We're going to try to speak helpfully yeah. as best as we can. But, but until then, 
we would just say, make sure to continue to tune in. Truly join this conversation. This is one we'd love to hear your thoughts on. Um, and, and don't forget to like, share. I hate saying this part in such a weight with you thing, but <laughs> it helps us. It helps us because if, if you think that what we're saying is helpful, the more you promote it, it the more that we can affect a, a fruitful conversation right. and a fruitful discussion and thinking. So don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and always please tell a friend.